0: We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers, and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered training organisation 31352. We've got an outstanding guest for you today, especially if you're a show jumping fan. Our guest today is Chris Chugg, also known as Chuggy. is a show jumping specialist, competitor, trainer, and coach. He's been an Australian show jumping champion five times, and he's also ridden at World Cup Finals five times, resulting in great results, which is seventh and tenth. Chuggy's competed in the final in the World Equestrian Games in 2010 and um, currently out there competing and doing great things. How are you today, Chuggy? Oh, thank you great now have you got a quote that you'd like to share with us today
1: well uh, the most important thing i've learned from the years if you make it easy for your horse to learn it makes it easy for you that's the most important part is find out what makes your horse tick find out what makes his job easier if you have a horse that needs encouragement well i do a lot of work at the walk and the trot to jumps and
2: mm-hmm
1: and that teaches the horses to be very comfortable with a deep distance and read the fence, and it's more about working around the fences more so than working over big jumps.
0: Okay. I think that that's something to think about, not just for riders, but for coaches as well, so that's good. Now, I know that you started off pretty young as a rider. You know, you did a lot with Bev, and, yeah, can you tell us about your earliest memories?
1: Yeah a lot of early memories sort of riding at 12 and 13 and 14 and basically we were always just trying to ride what we could afford to buy so we did a lot of buying out of the Homebush sales down at uh, Homebush and we used to buy down there on Fridays and have a bit of a standard ad on Saturdays and Sundays and the Herald and the Telegraph to try to sell or buy and sell horses so I've been in the game of buying and selling horses for a long time with my mother, who was also a first lady trainer to train a horse to win at Harold Park, so we had trotters at first. Mm -hmm. So, um, keeping horses sound and working with different breeds and different bloods and different types of horses in the mind is very easy for me, so I used to have Arabs, show Arabs and ride Arabs, and um, that was my first job when I left school. I worked for Arabian Park and I showed stallions. and. So I got to lead stallions and breed with stallions and do all the serving as well. So that's basically my background. I work with, you know, mares and big geldings and stallions. So I have, at the moment we have a current team of about 15 to 20 horses and we're breeding nine embryo foals a year, Gabby, my partner, and I. Mm-hmm. And we've got seven drops so far and we've got another two coming and we've got five from last year. So the future for young horses are looking good. And uh, we currently run about a team of six to seven horses that are jumping between the horses and uh, very successful horses. We, uh, Gabby and I, went to Europe, purchased quite a few four and five-year-olds. We like to start with young horses. So. We know the history of them and bring them through the ranks like Gabby did with Crystalline. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately we have to sell the turnover because our main business is jumping horses, buying and selling, not so much coaching and teaching, Mm -hmm. which takes a lot of time away from being a competitive rider as Gabby is and I am. So we run a full time stud together. And I've just been now just we've just been taking five mares and foals to different properties and making sure that the young foals that are born have got shade so we're flat out from riding horses in the morning to basically managing the stud in the afternoon, so it's full time.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a long jump from leaving school, working for someone, to doing what you're doing now, which a lot of people would look at it and go, wow, Chris has got everything. You know, he's doing this all the time. He's just got everything. But it's been a lot of hard work, I'm sure. For someone who's just starting in the horse career, what sort of traits, personality traits, character, you know, character traits do you think they need to have?
1: Well it's a long term it's a long term project I mean you never stop learning with horses I was a blacksmith for 6 years as well when I stopped showing arabs I did my apprenticeship for a little while and stopped after the first year and it uh, was just showing show jumping horses and you know it's very important to be able to have something that supports this industry because the industry doesn't really pay a lot there's not a lot of prize money involved we basically live off showing horses internationally overseas so there's a long there's three or four years in between, you know, your meal ticket and paying your bills and covering your debts. So most people I I teach and I speak to young students or riders, I tell them to finish school, get a good job because you won't always have the best sponsors in the world, which are your parents. Mm -hmm. By the time you turn 18, most parents are trying to feed the other kids or trying to chase you out of the house and make you get your own life so you know it's very important in this day and age to have a great job because the sport's very expensive.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now what about people that you employ, is it just you and Gabby, you have other people that work
2: for you?
1: Yeah we have full-time staff, we try mm-hmm. to have two but sometimes we have one, we're very lucky at the moment, we have Swanee, Swanny's a 21 year old German girl from Germany and she's been out doing other jobs in Melbourne with restaurants and, and working in that industry And uh, they come and go a bit. Mm -hmm. We don't keep the team so big that Gabby and I can't, um, if something happens, because they are casual workers. So it's very hard to find somebody who wants to put in a year or two years in this sport because it's a hard industry, a lot of hours. So quite often it's just Gabby and I. I think when we went to the World Cup final, with Crystalline in last year and Cassiargo, we actually ran the whole place and the team ourselves, okay. and it's a luxury to have someone working for you that's good and takes the same interest as you do, so there's certainly a lot of jobs out there for working in the show jumping game or the equestrian game, but it's uh, unfortunately, it's not a high-paying game. It's a lot of hours, but you've got to love the horses, and you know, I do most of the riding myself. I ride up to 9 to 10, 11 horses a day and try to do the feeding of the young horses. But when we have staff, it just makes the day go a hell of a lot easier.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, For sure. Now, what about people who've influenced you?
1: Well, I'm very lucky. I have a lot of older people that ride that I look up to. And Mm -hmm. in uh, in 87, I was in Chocomula Stable in Germany. So I got to learn the German system, and I've had some really good trainers throughout the world. But my number one mentor would be George Morris. I've been training with George. He's the uh, ex-American coach and George has been coming to Australia for now 30 years. So I've been training with him since I was 21 and and I'm lucky enough that Vicky Roycroft brings him out every year. He's due out again in Christmas time. So we have another clinic book with him and Mm -hmm. he basically gives me a sharpen up and works on my position and my weak points and he's basically taught me my trade. So um, yep, I'm very yep. fortunate to have him. And every time I get to a World Cup final or a World Championships or at a big competition and he's there, it sort of makes you ride your best and also it gives you someone to go back and get a little bit of feedback on the course because I don't have a trainer at all. Uh-huh. So Gabby and I train each other. Okay. So it works well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just having those eyes on the ground every day would be good, wouldn't it? It is good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now I know you've had a lot of great horses, but who do you think's is the standout?
1: Oh, it's hard to say. I think Vivant was a standout mm-hmm. and Crystalline was a standout. One was a stallion and one was a mayor. One was seven year old and one was 10 year old at the World Cup final. And uh, Vivant got seventh in the World Cup final, which is my highest ranking. I think it's also the highest ranking an, Australia, an Australian has ever had. Mm-hmm. And then I waited two years to produce Crystalline with Gabby, and Gabby produced Crystalline, and we went back and finished tenth. So. It's a hard one to say, and I've had some great horses called W S Scandal, who was sold to Princess Haya from Jordan, and Mister Currency was my first thoroughbred off the track, and I sold him to a Spanish team for Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So it's a hard one. He finished nineteenth in the world at the World Cup final, and since then I've been nineteenth, seventh, and tenth. So <laughs> okay. I don't really have a favourite. You know, I run from thoroughbreds now into warm bloods, mm-hmm. but I was probably closest to um, Vivant than most horses because I had him a little bit longer and I bought him as a three-year-old and uh, ran him through until he was 10 and 11, so that was a long partnership, a lot of hours put into him and he gave me his best, so I probably have the fondest memories of him. He's managed to retire in Ireland now as a 21-year-old, so he's having a good life.
0: (laughs) Good, good. What about your proudest moment?
1: I've had a few. I've had a yeah. few probably jumping clean round in the team's event at the World Championships and helping the team to finish 7th which qualified them for London. You know it's always nice to hear the national anthem fade. I've won some Grand Prix in Europe and finished 7th and 10th in the World Cup final which is a yearly ranking. You know, that's a blast because we jump outdoors and we jump in 30, 40 degrees heat. These guys jump all year round and indoors and in the indoor circuit. And we take a horse from Christmas time across to Europe where it's minus 10, minus 15 and expect them to perform like they do. So there's a lot of management. I get a lot of satisfaction out of just getting in and out of the ring with a horse that's improved and uh, very proud of them. So for me, it's more about the competition than the winnings and the placings.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know you've had a lot of proud moments and wins and great times. What about your biggest challenge? What's that been?
1: Oh, I think it's still coming. (laughs) (laughs) I've managed to, I'm 57 now, so I've managed to um, sell a lot of horses that have been to Olympic Games and I've been reserve a few times and to me that's not being an Olympic team, being a reserve rider. So to me it's about uh, actually riding at the Games. So um, I've purchased three horses and or four horses, and I'm setting them, Gabby and I both setting our sights for uh, the Japan Olympics
2: mm-hmm.
1: in Bajikawa, so that's my main aim and focus now is that I can afford to, uh, one, keep the horses that I couldn't afford to keep before. Mm-hmm. I had to sell them to make a living, yep. and um, I've reinvested, and I have a very nice seven-year-old called Levolinsky. He's He's won uh, the mini pre-championships at the show jumping championships last weekend, and He's, he's doing more than he should be doing. Sorry, he's six years old. Okay, He's six years old, winning the 145s, and then I've got another horse called Ditto, which I bought from a, an auction in the Verband in Germany, and he's jumping World Cups, and also got a very nice mare that Gabby rides called Chantilly. She's jumping in the 145 Grand Prix as well, so... And then we've also got Cassiago and Gabby's got a mare called Flair that's seven years old and she's winning the Mini prize and also just came back from New Zealand and at the Equitana and she finished second in both Grand Prix. So <laughs> we take young horses forward and then we also step them back a little bit in the classes and We find now that the quality of horses, and because they're so well bred, and they're they're bred for this sport, and they have instinct already in them, like a cattle dog or a sheep dog has instinct to look at a cow or Mm -hmm. chase a sheep. We're finding that it's a lot easier to to start training these horses for a a four-year plan. Each year they progress, and each year they get better and stronger, and mentally they become Grand Prix horses. So. We quite often test the seven-year-olds in World Cups and Grand Prix and then we step them back down into 135, 140 classes and by the time they're eight years old, they're seasoned, ready for World Cups and ready to go to the Olympics. But unfortunately, they've changed the age now where Crystalline went to the World Cup final as an eight-year-old. Now they've changed the rules since then and the horses have to be nine-year-old and have to be nine-year-old for the Olympics as well. So it's very important for us to purchase horses that by the time the japan olympic comes along my 6 year olds are 9 yep. and my 7 year olds are 10 so mm-hmm. it's important to be able to think 4 years ahead buy 4 years ahead and train 4 years ahead so that's what I've learnt from the sport and the horses that are qualified and ready to go to Olympic Games or a World Championships or a World Cup Final and they come out of that show they're worth a lot more money than they went into it so it's to me it's about uh, producing horses rather than uh, what I can take out of them it's what I can put into them and mm-hmm. I'm very happy with the quality of horses that I've been working with over the last three or four years I've fought well Reinvested, and um, we have probably, I would say, for sure, the best team in Australia at the moment, and probably the best four young horses in the world.
0: Chaggy, you've got a lot of horses, and there's still got to be a turnover, though. You must have horses for sale all the time, do you?
1: Uh, I don't normally sell local horses in the marketplace. I used to deal a lot of horses to Japan and Korea and, uh-huh. and work on the Asian markets when I was younger, but yep. these horses that we're producing now are for international market. Okay. But, but by saying that, there's a lot of young riders out there now that are purchasing horses through other trainers and dealers in Australia for 150 to $200,000. So it's very difficult when you ask me the question, what's the advice I give the young riders and the junior riders and you know they've really got to be able to learn their craft but also have a background in a in a business or a job that can support their dreams so mm. the local market is a good market, it's a very strong market, but the horses I purchased from overseas are in the view of the quality that i've i've the money that I've spent on to to buy the horses for the investment are horses that I think that are going to be Olympic Games horses or world championships, and those horses don't get sold here mm-hmm. to the local market so Yep. It's a very strong market and you can deal in, there's some very good warm bloods getting bred now for jumping in Australia, but because a lot of the brood mares are foundation mares of being thoroughbreds or dressage bred warm blood mares that you don't actually get to get the um, the top 1% out of that mm-hmm. type of breeding. I've been breeding for 30 years and I've never bred a five-star horse. Okay. So okay. Um, I rely on purchasing from Europe the best four-year-olds I can buy. Mm-hmm. But in saying that, we're now producing embryo foals out of our Grand Prix mares now, yep. and Crystalline's produced three or four here. We've also purchased her, well, she's been, her mother's in Germany now, in Bavaria, and she's been bred back to, her mother's been bred back to Crystalline's father, and we've been lucky enough to purchase both of those. Mm-hmm. So we also have four and five foals in Germany and Europe, as well as the nine foals coming this year, so... Probably in four years' time I won't have to get back to Europe and look for horses as investment horses and by then the marketplace here, you know, as I said, the price of young rider and junior horses now is very strong and mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of business there's a lot of there's a lot of new families that aren't so old now that uh, it's not old money, it's new money coming into the sport. So they're very happy to support their kids and also it's very strong that they've got the inter school competition, so you know, that's where the grassroots start from and that's where people get excited and they get hooked on the sport and it's a, a very good sport, it's a lot easier than eventing on the horses, it's a lot easier keeping the horses sound. Mm-hmm. You can start every weekend, you can compete every weekend and your horses don't need big rest and holidays like they would if they're eventing horses. So, as much as I enjoyed the eventing game but I never put any money back in my pocket, it cost me a lot of money. And <laughs> yes. So I learned where the market is, and the mm-hmm. market's in Europe, in America. Yep. So you know, we tap into that market now, and it means that we fly horses to Australia, and then we work on them for three and four years, and then we put them back on the plane, and we fly them back to the marketplace. and mm-hmm. The World Cup Finals is a very good class for us in Australia because it's a five-star class. We get to go there because we win the league here. We get to go and jump against the best riders and horse combinations of the year. And if you happen to finish in the top 10, well, you, the type of money that you can get for your horse, if you're willing to sell it, is enough to set you up and buy a property and put you forward for another three or four years. And then you've just got to make sure... You reinvest with the right horses. Yep. And um, Gabby and I, that that's our future. That's mm-hmm. what we do and every horse every start, every competition, every month is a training program to produce that horse for a four year plan, which is the Tokyo Olympics.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm going to go back because you said something about the grassroot riders and I want you to think put on your trainer's cap because we've got a few listeners that are show jumping fans and they they might you know I'm sort of taking a bit of an example here sometimes we get a lot of riders that are riding competing they've come up a little bit they're still fairly basic they're still jumping a meter meter 10 but doing well then they start to come up a little higher and you know the rails start falling down and they're not going as well what sort of tips have you got for them what sort of training for that type of rider what should they be focused on
1: well you've got to be focused on keeping your horse positive you know right. it, it would be the same as if my brother was tiger woods and he can make a living out of playing golf and i can't play golf at all so you've really got to work with what your horse has got to give you you know not every horse can jump 140 150 160 So, you know, if your horse is happy jumping around a metre and you find that every time you put him around a metre 15 or a metre 20 you have a lousy day, he's telling you that two things, he's even not capable and he's trying his hardest and um, don't keep pushing him to a point where he starts stopping or not enjoying his day or you need some help, get some lessons, take videos of yourself, watch videos of yourself. You know, it's very important to, to look and learn. You know, a lot of horses are in a level where they're suited and a lot of horses can't get out of that level. It's the same as racing. The racing game, there's a lot of Group 3 horses and very few Group 1 horses. Yep. So yep. it's basically yep. you've got to recognize that your animal is giving you his best, the horse is giving you his best, and if every time you ask him for a bit more, he's telling you you're not ready or he's not ready. Well, just stay in the class that you're in, and that's the beauty of high classes. Everybody mm. can be competitive in the heights they're in i learned that very early age that's why i go to europe and buy my horses and don't rely on trying to buy off the local market because the local market is good enough to compete in australia but it's not good enough to produce horses for olympic games at the moment it's going to take another three or four years there's a lot of studs out there breeding with a lot of imported semen a lot of frozen semen coming in from europe and we're getting now we're getting a lot of competition mares and a lot of owners that are flushing embryos out of their competition horses and I think in the next five years we might start producing a few five-star horses and that would be exciting because it would mean the money comes into Australia and stays in Australia and means that I don't have to spend my money outside and buy horses from Europe and it's very expensive to fly them here and then you have to pay your tax in and out of the country and you also have to pay your tax when you sell them so it's just a big circle Mm. and it's something that I have to try to think ahead. I'm getting closer to 60 than I am 50 so I have to try to think about my, you know, somewhere, somehow I I can support myself as I get older. I tend to ride till I'm 70, 70 plus. I don't look to retire for the next 10 or 15 years and I'm probably going to be riding these foals that are born now and last year out of all our embryos. We have foals by Big Star, we have foals by Emerald, Olympic Games gold medalist horses, horses that win World Cup finals, and they're out of competition mares that are winning 145 with the future of being an Olympic Games horse. So I think that I probably, by the time 10 years pass, the conversation we're having now, I'm probably not going to have to purchase horses from Europe. I'm going to be able to buy them and breed them here. So yep. the sport looks very strong and very positive for a lot of riders in Australia. I think the next generation, the 13 to the 18 to the 19-year-old kids that are out there now, are going to have a um, be able to purchase horses here of enormous quality. But also the rest of the world is learning that a lot of good horses do come from Australian riders. Mm-hmm. And the world will start coming here and purchasing them as well.
0: Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Normally I ask a question, you know, what does your future hold? But I think you've been telling us, it certainly sounds exciting and you're pretty excited about the future. Is there anything else that that you haven't said that you're looking forward to?
1: Oh, no, I'm just looking forward to a good life. I've (laughs) had a very good life up till now and life's been learning every day and horses are my sport and my future. So I take it very seriously even though I seem pretty casual. I get to shows and when I go to shows it's business and you know, I run into a lot of amateurs that are there for a great time and I'm riding horses that are worth a lot of money in the practice area. So I take my sport very seriously and I try to make sure that I get to a show and get home from a show and all the horses are, are very safe and so some people think that I'm a little bit arrogant at the shows and a little bit too serious, but to me it's a business. Mm. Always has been a business and um I think uh, it's a breath of fresh air. I get to go out and work with lovely animals with great brains, and I don't have to go out the gate, and I don't have to chase lessons. And you know, if it rains, you don't get your lessons. And if every time I get a group of riders together and start training riders, they go to a World Cup final or a World Championships, and you're away for a year, your clients move on, which is the name of the game. They go to other trainers. Mm-hmm. So. I've learned that you can't pay your property off and you can't pay your bills. If you're going to compete in Europe, you're going to lose customers. So I've basically narrowed my business down to uh, working for myself with Gabby and I'm very lucky to have a partner that rides so well and she supports me and she runs the business. So I'm very lucky and I think the next 10 years is going to be better than the last 10 years.
0: Brilliant. Okay, look, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today?
1: into a lesson today. Mm,
0: well, you talked earlier about your favourite quote. Do you want to go over that again?
1: Yeah, I just keep it easy. You know, George Morris taught me very early in life when I was always trying to be very competitive and win a lot of classes. You can win the battle, but you lose the war. hmm so, um, it took me a few years. He didn't explain it to me. He just told me about it and it took me a few years to work out what he was meaning and you know you've got to realise you're working with with animals and you're working with a lot of blood in the animals, and there's a lot of circumstances you've got to keep your emotions out of your riding, you've got to be able to be cool and calm. but in saying that, you've got to be switched on. you know yeah. you've got to be switched on ahead of ahead of what your animal's thinking, what your horse is thinking when it goes to a jump, so I never fail to prepare, you know, I'm training all the time, I'm making sure my horses are overconfident, really confident, you know, you need to have great jumps at home, you need to be able to trot over everything that you're going to canter over. If you can't trot over a Liverpool or a brick wall or trot through a double or trot over a brush or you don't have your horse wanting to investigate you know that's the big thing the horses go every day to a show they come back home positive they're not meant to come home negative so I keep the positive aspect happening all the time so I'm probably the only one that trots in the practice area over an oxer and over a practice fence and Most people trot their cross rails, but you know I take young horses to competitions, four-year-old competitions, and I'll trot the first fence, and I'm not worried about what the judge thinks and what the score is going to be. I'm there to produce the horse and give the horse confidence. So if a horse doesn't have a lot of confidence at the canter, then you do your work at the trot, and you make it very small fences, and it teaches you as a rider to have timing, Mm -hmm. and it also teaches the horses a depth to go to the fence. A lot of people try to jump off a long spot if you find that being a difficult exercise and the horse is always running and out of control after landing, well, use trotting lanes. Use a lot of, you know, look up George Morris School of Equitation. He has so many exercises in the book and so, many, so, many, so much knowledge there. And there's so much online now you can watch. Get someone to video you. When I teach students, I video on my phone and I show them.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: it's very important. That you see and picture tells a thousand words, you know, so yep, yep. it's important.
0: Yep, great. Right. All right. How can people contact you?
1: Oh, I'm on Chuggy at Gmail dot com, or my phone number is readily available in all the advertising we do with Casiago, and mm-hmm. I'm happy to coach. I'm happy to do clinics. Clinics are good for me because it can give me certain times of the month where I give my horses a break, and yep. I get to go away and teach. So. I used to do a lot of clinics and a lot of coaching, but I, as I said, being away in Europe, you a lot of people now, a lot of students now are 15, 13, 16-year-old, they actually don't know who I am. <laughs> They're amazed that I still ride, so you've got to re, rebirth yourself every now and then, and I suppose I'm a little bit restricted in that. I'm not great on the internet, so I just rely on, now I rely on buying and selling, but if anyone's interested in having a clinic in Melbourne, Brisbane, or Sydney, or Adelaide, yep. I'm available. Okay. You know, I coach up to thirty thirty students a day and but it just has to fit around my show season, so it's a little difficult for some people.
0: All right, those contact details will be on the horse chats page, which will be horsechats.com slash Chris Chug. Chris, it's been amazing talking to you today. I've really enjoyed it. I think the tip that you gave particularly, you know, that I asked you about the riders, you know, just videoing yourself, getting someone to help with the lessons but also recognising when your horse is giving its best, I think that's been great for the listeners. It's also been good talking to you about, you know, what you plan for the future, particularly the next 10 years and I think everyone will just look forward to you getting better and better. Okay, thanks for talking to us today.
1: Thank you and thanks for everyone listening.